Welcome to the Bible Rundown. It's day 112, 2 Samuel 14 through 15, and Luke 17. So, Rob, we talked about Absalom and uh, the sins of the father sort of being done to David himself as we move forward in these chapters. But here, Absalom comes back to Jerusalem at the request of Joab, and it's really not going to set up a good scenario for David and his kingship. What's going on in chapter 14? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not really sure why Joab feels like he needs to bring Absalom back in, maybe Joab and Absalom buddies, but... Right? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it is weird. Huh? Uh, no, I mean, it is weird. It doesn't doesn't make sense. Like, what's the connection Joab has with him? Yeah, I think Joab, in the, it, he, he is wanting to maybe do something righteous here, and he's trying to, like, make the king receive his his son back and so he, he has this woman and she dresses up and she acts like she has a story and then she's like talking about in second hand it's very it's a very weird chapter in verse chapter 11 um and 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 this is interesting it's like riddles right it's almost like he's he's saying things in riddles and it's almost as if it's like Nathan the prophet and he's trying to do this the way that Nathan did to like catch him in his fault. I think, I think that's, that's what I would get from it. Yeah. I, I kind of am with you. The only thing I can think of is that the grief that Joab sees maybe David having over um, circumstances in his life, Joab seems to be a character that really loves to take matters into his own hands, right? So we've yeah. seen him, we're going to see him multiple times, literally take the life of individuals that he perceives are opposed to the king or an enemy of the king. And it's interesting right. here that with Absalom, I think he views himself as, hey, I can reconcile this situation. <clears throat> but it actually creates an enemy of the king by bringing him back into the kingdom. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, this woman comes to David and gives this account. Absalom is ultimately brought back in, but the, the conniving, I guess, there's really no better way to put it, but Absalom is essentially setting himself up to be viewed as both the, the king and, interestingly enough, a judge for the people as he mm -hmm. kind of sets himself up at the, at the gate entrance of Jerusalem. Right. Um, but then David has to flee the kingdom. And uh, what do you see in chapter 15? There was a connection I made to Christ towards the end of this, but just maybe before we get there, anything you saw in particular? Oh, yeah. The Mount of Olives, for sure. I'll, I'll save that for you. But it's interesting to me that, that David um, allows this to happen. And this is not a good sign, right? Like, not only yeah. is he not going to war... Now he is not taking care of his people in a way that they don't view him as king. I mean, this what it comes down to is is that he's not with his people. He yeah. has his own kingdom and he's and he's doing his own thing and he's not he's neglecting his responsibility of leading God's people and knowing his uh, 
his people and, and judging them rightly. And so that's, that's a difficult place for, for David to be in. But then as he's leaving, he's ascending the Mount of Olives. And what do you see there? Well, I mean, the literal path that he's taking out of Jerusalem is the path that uh, I think we see in some of the gospel accounts Jesus himself took towards the Mount of Olives with his disciples after the Last Supper. So an interesting contrast, right? Um, in John 18, this is the location where Jesus is betrayed, right? The rightful king is rejected. And I think we're seeing this theme that we've been talking about of, of the Davidic kingdom pointing forward to Christ. You know, David is rescued from death as he flees Jerusalem. Jesus faces death in the city of Jerusalem, and he's rescued through his death via the resurrection. And so I think this theme of uh, being a victor through defeat is, is obviously what the gospel is contingent upon. And we see the narrative playing out through the life of David pointing us forward to what we're going to see in Christ. Yeah. Let's go to Luke 17. There's, there's some good text there in Luke yeah. 17, but I, I've got a question for you. Shoot. Verse 20 being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now explain to our audience, <laughs> what is he talking about there? So rescue me if I'm going off on the on the wrong side of this answer but Anna and I were actually talking about this recently because in our Sunday morning small group we're going through first Peter and in chapter two it talks about we've been made a royal priesthood and so I think twofold for us as um, believers we are made a kingdom of priests through what Christ has done for us and so he is the great high priest we with the spirit of God living within us are made to live like priests here on earth. And so demonstrating that the kingdom of heaven is <laughs> But I think the other thing is, is Christ is not here to establish his kingdom until his second return. Right. And so right. for now, those that have put their faith in Christ are part of this, what we call the priesthood of believers, but basically demonstrating the kingdom of God through changed life of repentance that are filled with the Holy Spirit and living righteously. And so I think when he says here, you're not going to see, you know, necessarily a physical throne and a kingdom like what they were expecting to see or what they could look at and point to with Rome, right? Mm -hmm. Caesar having a throne or a place where he rules. That was not the design of what God had intended through Christ with his first coming, the second right. coming clear that the kingdom will be established. There'll be a new heaven and new earth. So I kind of see it as, as pointing us to seeing the kingdom fulfilled through the church. And ultimately what he's alluding to later on will be the judgment that comes upon his second coming and the real establishment of his kingdom, where he will be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for all time. Mm -hmm. What do you see though? Is that, is that on base with what you were kind of thinking? Yeah, there's a little footnote at the bottom that says, or within you. And I think that 
that that could be some 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 thoughts there because when we're talking about the kingdom of God, right? We're talking about the rule and reign of God and where he rule and reigns um, <clears throat> is in our hearts. And so, um, so could it be that the rule and reign of Christ, uh, the reception of the Holy Spirit is the church. So the kingdom of God is those that are, that have the Holy Spirit within them. I, I think I would lean more in that direction just because um, the kingdom of God is the, the people of God. So uh, where Christ rules and reigns and where he has authority uh, is he's, he's given all authority, but the rule and reign in the hearts of men are those who have, who have submitted to him as Lord. And so I think, um, you know, when we think about the kingdom of God, we think about those who are living, like you said, on this earth that will be in the, the future eternal king, but we're, we're already not yet, right? We're already in the kingdom of God, but not yet experienced the fullness of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think the, the statement is saying you, you may not be able to observe it, you may not be able to say, oh, there it is, but um, the kingdom of God is is here in the midst of all of you, in the middle of all you, within you, because uh, there there are some who who have Christ reigning and ruling in their hearts. So this is my thoughts. No, I think it's good. And I think coupling that with what comes right before it, right, the cleansing of the 10 lepers and only one of the lepers returns, the kingdom of God is demonstrated through heartfelt repentance, right? A restored life Mm -hmm. that the heart pours forth in praise. So Mm -hmm. good, good word. Luke 17 has got a lot uh, in here that you could study all day and still (laughs) be unsure of, uh, of some things of what it means. But at the end of the day, it's a great picture of, of Christ's return. Hey, thanks for joining me. I got one more question. I got one more question for you. I'm going to shoot you with the hard stuff today. So verse 31 on that day. um, Or just in the days of Lot, verse 28. um, They were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting and building. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let... The one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is not in the field who turns back. Remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses life will keep it. I tell you in the night here, 34, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be Hmm. two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And he said to them, where, Lord? He said to them. Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. See, this mm. is hard for Luke's Luke's gospel. He's not he's not very clear on what he's talking about here. Do you have any insight into these things? Well, you and I had kind of talked about it and the need to kind of study this passage and figure out what's going on. So I I did some very minimal studying, right? Like I just tried to look at just in the context what I think it's coming. I think 
chapter 17 is really talking about the coming judgment. And so where I left off with this is, um, I think this final statement, when they ask him where Lord will these things take place? And he, he gives this cryptic statement where the corpse is or the body is there, the vultures were gathered. I think it's twofold. When Christ returns, well, let's back up. When you're in Luke's time, how do you get word out that something significant has happened? It's like the game of telephone, right? I mean, you're literally passing news from town to town. So I think in our modern times, that's hard for us to grasp, right? That yeah. Christ's return isn't going to be something that's broadcast on TikTok or Twitter. <laughs> it's just going to be known. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's this element that when Christ returns, universal judgment will be played out upon the earth that no one's going to miss it. And the sad picture for us is the reminder of why it's important for us to proclaim the gospel broadly, right? So the seed of, of the gospel as far as right. we can, um, because the reality is there may be our own family members that when the Lord returns, will face his judgment and not enduring salvation in his coming kingdom, right? And so I think that that's where we get these images of two are together, but one will be taken to the other left. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the picture of God's judgment, it's not anything that is peaceable for those that are not in Christ. Mm-hmm. So the vultures gathering is the reminder that we've talked about it before. Um, the Lord coming back to, to sort the sheep from the goats that he he carries this winnowing fork of fire. I mean, we need to be honest with those warning them that when the Lord does come and he judges sin, anyone who is found in sin and not forgiven in Christ is going to face the wrath of God for that sin. That's a good word. I mean, I I think that in the context of the passage, I think you're absolutely right. The judgment is coming. Are you ready for that? I mean, essentially is the, is the crux of the, of the story here is like, are you ready for the judgment to come or are you unprepared for, because it's coming like in the days of Sodom, like in the days of Noah. And uh, will you be ready for that? Yeah. And, you know, final thing, if we've received that kind of forgiveness for our sins, that ought to be a motivation in and of itself to go and plead to a world that's dying to be reconciled to God. So tough passage, but good question. All right. That's all we got today. We'll see you tomorrow. Bible rundown.